0: Good morning to you all. It's good to be back with you. Hopefully, you didn't have too much fun while I was away, right? No, no, no fun. No fun. Good. That makes me loved, feel loved anyway. Uh, hey, you know, I want you to know before we spend time in God's Word this morning in Luke chapter 5, it's moments like this that I'm so thankful to be a part of this faith community because I'm reminded of how truly blessed we are by the elders and the staff and many leaders that, that are able to carry on in ministry and allow me time to rest and, and, and for other leaders to, to step away and rest as well. That it's not the, the, the work of the ministry that God has given us is not in the hands of one person, but in, in the plurality of, of the body of Christ. That we are a priesthood of believers. And so. It's just moments like this that I'm reminded of that and thankful for it, and so, uh, but also grateful to be back with you all here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Moses, for leading in the pulpit the last couple of weeks while I was away. Really appreciate that. So this morning we're going to be closing out our sermon series we're calling Staycation, which is the first of two sermon series that we're going to be going through this summer. And, and it's all about letting others in on this gift that you found of uh, the life-transforming gift of Jesus, right? Th- this idea of staycation is something that we're all wanting to embrace and understand that, that no matter where we go or, or are sent to, whether it's on a missions trip or a vacation or we're or, or staying local, we all have an opportunity to share the news of Jesus Christ with other people. Now, contrary to popular belief, you don't have to travel far away and abroad to be a missionary. There are those of us who are called to serve in a foreign land, in a, a far off distant, distant place, a cross-cultural ministry opportunity, but, but that's a select few that God has set aside to do that, but all of us have been called to be missionaries, right? All of us have been called to a mission field where we are invited to share the news of Jesus, the the gift of knowing the Son of God, with other people. Now, what I want us to walk away from these past few weeks feeling is a sense of challenge. That God has challenged you to to think about life as being bigger and more broad than your life. That, That it's not just about you achieving your goals or realizing your potential or what you were created for, but understand that you're a part of a narrative, a story that God has invited you to be a part of. And he wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. He wants others to come to know his love because they've gotten close to you in your life. What I hope you'll understand even by the end of today is that You are the greatest tool for evangelism. You are the greatest tool for sharing the life-transforming good news about Jesus. And it's not because you're witty or smart or knowledgeable. It's not because you have a, a deeper knowledge of God's Word than the person next to you. It's because of the visibility of the character of Christ and the work of God in your life and you exposing people to that area of your life. Now, I think we live in an an age of information, right? And that information is at our fingertips. You can Google anything This very, like you don't even have to wait until you get home. You could just pull out your phone and find out whatever information you want to do. You could fact check my sermons, don't do it, but you could fact check my sermons this very moment if you want to, right? But at the same time, in the same day and age that we're living in, where there's information at our fingertips right here, there is, there's a surprising lack of knowledge of who Jesus is. Not, not what Christians are, but a lack of knowledge of who Jesus is and what he stands for. And there's a lack of trust in his power and authority to change lives. Hear me when I say this, because I think it's important even for us as followers of Christ to understand that there's a lack of trust, that Jesus has the power and the authority, the, the right and the capacity to change lives. So what this tells me this morning, and even as we kind of wrap up this series on staycation, on sharing our life with, and our experience with Jesus with others, is that I am not going to be the most effective one in sharing Jesus with your loved ones. I am not going to be the most effective one in sharing Jesus with your friends and your family and your neighbors. The people you care about, they can go online, they can can listen to five sermons before the end of today if they would choose to. They could look up blogs and articles online and read about the topic that's most on their heart and mind today. And it's not a bad idea to do. But they don't need me to do that, do you see that? Like, gone are the days where a village was centered around a church and the news about God was found when they gathered each week around worship and as they were challenged to read their Bibles for themselves that day is part of our past. It's not a bad day, it's something we celebrate. But the day of today, with the age of information we're living in, that information is available to anyone at any given time and any given day. And, and, and to be honest, I'm not the most effective tool to reach the people in your life with the news about Jesus. Our world is not short of speakers and preachers spouting information in our world. And what our world is short of is compassionate followers of Jesus. Who, who, who the lost in this world trust to share that information with them. They don't feel like you're trying to, to convert them and change them. They trust that you love them, you care about them, and you're sharing something very important with them that, that's coming from your life and your experience. So church, w- one thing I want you to clearly take away from our time in this sermon series here in the summer of 2022 is that God doesn't want to use Pastor Dan to expose your your friends and your loved ones to Jesus. He wants to use you. He he wants to use you because you are perfectly positioned to introduce the people in your life to the good news of Jesus. To show you what I mean, I I want us to turn to Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. This is uh, the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel, the third book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at a a story from Jesus' life, a, a moment where he's teaching and I'll read it for you. You can pull it up in your app on the phone. Uh, you can pull it up if you have a tablet. You can use your tablet. You can read it on the screen. We'll have it on the screen. But, but we want to give God's uh, word our attention here in these next few moments as, we, as I read to us from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. Let me read it for us. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Father, uh, this morning, your, your word is an extraordinary thing for us to behold and to, to receive Lord, may may we think of it that way, as a gift that we are receiving right now, an extraordinary gift, because it is your spoken revelation, you speaking out of eternity into our hearts and minds, recorded for us in this Bible, you speaking, revealing yourself to us. So, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to embrace, minds to comprehend what you are saying, and give us the courage to live in response with faith thank you father for your word may it transform us today right now in this moment by the power of your holy spirit we pray in Jesus' name amen well anecdotally speaking what the much of what the world sees as reality is based on our personal experiences or our feelings right? I mean, that's something we think about and talk about in, in the world we're living in, that, that many people's perspective on reality begins and oftentimes ends in their own personal experience of how they see the world around them or, or how they experience, what they've experienced from the world around them. For example, when we read this passage, you're going to expect I me, mean, you might expect me to talk about how sharing Jesus with your loved ones is like being this paralyzed man's friends, who goes so far as to remove tiles from a roof and lower him down into a crowded house so that he could be in front of Jesus. But not everything is as it appears. I'm not denying that this world is made up of multiple viewpoints, right? I know that, that, that many of us can look at a situation and see it from different perspectives and different angles and have different thoughts or experiences with it. It's possible for me to hold up a coin and one person say that they see heads and another person look at the coin and say they see tails, but that doesn't change the fact that objectively speaking, they're both looking at a coin, right? But when people say things like, I've got to speak my truth, or what they're really saying is that, that their preferred way of experiencing the world around them is their truth. They don't see a penny. They see a one-sided copper picture of Abraham Lincoln, right? Now, in some ways, the world that Jesus was living in was really no different than the world of today. Yeah, there are cultural differences. There are things of, of progress, of technology and things like that that are different. But, but in some ways, the, 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 the makeup of, of the society was no different than today. It was possible to be looking at a situation and, and, and to think that you were right and doing some good. But in reality, in actuality, the people were missing the mark on reality. They were missing the mark on, on truth. Here in Luke chapter 5, a man who is paralyzed is brought by his friends to be laid at Jesus' feet because they'd heard of Jesus' popularity. They'd heard of what Jesus could do. They'd they'd heard the news about this man from Nazareth, and and they said, you know what, our friend needs healing. Let's bring him to this man. He's got an ability to heal diseases. But what they learn in bringing their friend to Jesus is that this man's greatest need isn't the healing of his physical paralysis, but the healing of his heart from sin. Not everything is as it appears to be. Now, church, I, I don't know your friends or your neighbors or your loved ones like you do. I don't know them personally, but, but here's the one thing that I can tell you. Their greatest need is not self-actualization or, or, or physical healing or relational restoration. They may have that as a need, but it's not their greatest need. Their greatest need... My greatest need is spiritual healing that comes through God forgiving me. Though our our, our physical and emotional pain and suffering feel overwhelming, they're really not our greatest needs. Now, church, I, I want you to hear me when I say this, because I know that that may sound insensitive, but... Please understand that it's not insensitive. It's not to disregard our, our needs, our emotional and physical needs. In fact, oftentimes, those are the, the, the doorway into which we realize God wants to work in our hearts. But it's still not our greatest need. Our spiritual brokenness is. And the two are not necessarily connected. See, in those days, there was this popular belief that if a person was physically ill or, or, or broken then it was because of some spiritual sin in their life, that, that it was a cause and effect relationship, and it's not necessarily true. To say that, that it was true, to say that our ailments are caused by our sin would be a little bit of a heresy. Theologically speaking, we can say that, yes, all illness and sickness and death finds its roots in the original sin, but to say that my... my uh, color blindness is because of some sin that I did when I was a little boy would be heresy. It would be untrue, right? In fact, Jesus addresses this false teaching in John chapter 9 when his disciples ask him about why this blind man was born blind. And, and, and he says this, he says, or they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus replies to him. You know, he says, he says, it, it was not that this man was born, uh, not that this man or nor his parents that sinned, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So church, what I hope you see here is that when we come across someone who's hurting and, and broken or sick and in need, it's not necessarily because of some sin that, 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 they've, that they've committed or an offense against God that, that's caused them to be this way. And, and, and even more so, more importantly, Because we need to understand that no amount of physical healing will actually make things better for them. Because that's not where the issue lies. The issue lies within their heart, deep within their soul. When we come across someone who's hurting and broken and and sick and in need, it's important that we recognize that their true pain resides deep within our soul, within their soul, which we can't touch by our good deeds or our, our, our thoughtful uh, words and gifts. Take another look at Luke chapter 5, verses 18 to 20 with me. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down on his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I have to admit that if I were in the shoes of this man's friends, I might be a bit confused and even a little frustrated Right. I mean, after carrying this man on a, on a bed, after caring for him and, and having compassion for him, carrying him on this bed to the roof of the house, after digging through the, the clay and removing the, 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 the woven tiles from the roof and then lowering him into the midst and dealing with all that, to hear Jesus say, you know, your sins are forgiven. that's not what I'm expecting. I would think I, I'd want to hear when Jesus got, or when the man got to the floor and, and Jesus saw him, I'd want to hear, rise up and walk. Is that what they hear? No. They hear Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> Jesus, that's great and all, but you're missing the point. The, this man, he can't move. What, is, what good does it do him to move, if, or what to, good does it do to heal his, his sins if, if the man can't move? That's what he needs, right? See, so here's, here's the point we all want to be part of healing someone who's in pain. We, we all have compassion for that person who. Who, who's dealing with this deep depression or, or, or homelessness or sickness or, or ailment. We'll want to make that pain go away. Husbands, you know that when your wife comes to you and, sit and starts to talk to you about something that's going on in their lives, you, you, you want to fix the problem. They want someone to listen to you. You want to fix the problem. There's not, it's not bad that you want to do that. But fixing the problem in that moment is not what they want or need, right? They want someone to listen to them. Similarly, with this man bringing him to Jesus, they they think that what is needed is to heal this man's paralysis, but all the physical healing in the world will not actually make this man's pain go away. See, the truth that needs to be more widely embraced in our day and age is a truth that says, the state of your soul is more important than the state of your physical being, right? That that our physical bodies are not what's most important in this world. They're important. Please don't hear me say that caring for the the bodies that God has given us and caring for the the pain of those we love and and, and know is not important. I'm not saying that. But I am saying I think that what's being missed in, in our lives and in this world is that there's a greater need, a more important need. The state of our soul is more important than the state of our physical beings. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus teaches his followers not to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He says, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, as amazing as these friends were for this man, and they were to be so concerned for his physical well-being and, and healing. They were missing the point because the most important thing to be addressed was not the man's body, but the man's soul. Now, I cannot encourage you enough when it comes to your personal ministry and when it comes to the, the loved ones in your life, the friends, the neighbors, the coworkers, the, the family members, to pray for those people that God has placed in your life. It's okay to pray for their physical healing. Jesus even heals this man's paralysis. He hears the heart and the concern of this man's friends and and heals this man of his paralysis. But whether he heals his body or not is actually not the main point. It's missing the point that Jesus is trying to make here. What matters most to Jesus is healing this man's soul for eternity. So go ahead and pray. Pray for for God that that, that he would open the door for him to work in these people's inner lives, in their hearts. Pray for God to open the eyes of their heart to to see the nasty nature of evil and sin in this world and even at work in our own lives. Pray that God would reveal himself to these people. Pray that he would make himself known as a gracious, loving, and, and, and forgiving God who's a healer, forgiver, redeemer, and Father, if you'll let him be, and pray that your life would point them to see Jesus at work, to see him as one who can forgive and heal us. See, oftentimes when we look at this account in the Gospels of Jesus healing this paralyzed man, we, we, we tend to focus in on the great friends that this man had. We tend to think, how can I be more like this man's friends. How can I remove roof tiles? How can I carry this man up on the roof and then lower him down so that he can be near Jesus? How can I bring those people to Jesus? We wish to have friends like this in our life. We we, want to be this kind of friend, but these friends are not the central focus of this passage. When Luke records this account in the Gospels, he's not focusing in on these friends of this paralyzed man, we don't know their names, we don't know where they're from, we don't know anything about them. He doesn't even focus in on the man's physical healing as central to the passage. It's kind of not an afterthought, but it's, it's peripheral information. It's kind of information out on the outside that supports the main idea of this passage. Because the central message, the central focus of this passage is Jesus' declaration that the man's sins have been forgiven. Luke five twenty one tells us that after Jesus declares a man's sins forgiven, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, right? They begin to murmur. And, and, and actually, Jesus kind of confronts us questions that they've been saying in their hearts, right? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I know we rag on the religious leaders, but they're not wrong here. Who alone can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. God alone can forgive us of our sins. God created us to be in a relationship with him. He places us in the garden and says, here's how I want you to live within the freedom and the beauty of all that I've given you. And what does man do in sin? They turn their backs on God and say, we're going we're to disobey. We're going we're to choose to live life our own way. We're going to eat of whatever fruit we want to eat of. We're going to do whatever we want to do. That's where sin comes in and it's an offense against the one who created us and loves us. And the story doesn't end there because he doesn't just create us and love us and set us free to do whatever he provides for us, eventually redeems us back from that sin. And so what I want us to see is that these religious leaders are not wrong. God alone forgives our sin. God alone has the right and the authority to heal what is broken inside of us. And so you want to say to these religious leaders, Don't forget what name was attributed to Jesus in the prophet Isaiah's writing when Jesus was foretold to be born. He calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is not just some man that did some tricky things in Nazareth. This is a man who who fulfills the foretelling of scriptures from long ago. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He is God with us. Luke makes this connection himself early on in our passage. You may remember in the first few verses of of our passage where it says that the the power of the Lord was with him to heal. That's Luke's way of saying that God was with Jesus. God God is Jesus, but but he was there. He was present. So when the religious leaders say, who alone can forgive sins but God alone? Well, yeah, you're right. Pay attention here, religious leaders, because God... Luke's not just saying that, that Jesus can heal sins. He's revealing himself as God with us. In Romans 13.1, Paul is talking about how we're called to be subject, subject to human authorities, right? But he, he does so by recognizing that ultimately all human authorities are responsible to God, who is the ultimate authority, right? Who alone can forgive sins but God alone? Listen, by forgiving these sins here, it's being revealed that that Jesus is not just some compassionate man who wants to make people's bodies work better again. He's God with us, who has the authority to forgive sins. No one has the right to declare guilt or forgiveness but God and to whomever God gives that right to, namely the Son of Man, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes this even more clear in verse 27 when he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Right? We know in the, in the Great Commission, just before Jesus sends his, his disciples out, he, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, right? So Jesus has been given the right to forgive sins, to address the more important issue at work, He's been given authority by God to heal the deepest places of our hearts through forgiving us of our sins. And church, please know that when you think of the people in your life that you love and you want their li- you, you see the decisions that they're making, the, the things they're going through, and you want them to make better decisions, you want their life to be better, there is nothing you can do to turn their life around. You can only long for and pray that they would become aware of their deep need, deep within, for Jesus. And that they would have a heart that is humble and receptive to welcoming men, to, to, to forgive them, to forgive them of, his, of their sins. But where the, the Pharisees were so concerned with Jesus having authority to do, to, to forgive this man's sins like he said he was, this man and his friends were more concerned about whether or not Jesus had the ability, the capacity, the, the power to do what he said he would do. Look at verses 22 to 23 of Luke 5. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, honestly, to say, you could say either of these, right? They're both easy to say. One's more difficult to prove than the other, but you can say both pretty easily. It's easy to say whatever you want. I could say I could run a a four-minute mile. I can't prove that I can run a four-minute mile, right? It's not so easy to back up our words with action. Jesus could say your sins are forgiven, but the problem was that, that, tangibly speaking, in, in front of the crowds, there wasn't necessarily a way for him to prove it, right? Jesus could also tell a paralyzed man, rise and walk, and we'd shortly be able to tell if he was telling the truth or not, if he actually had the ability to heal this man of his physical paralysis. He would either, this man would either rise and walk and prove Jesus to have the ability to heal, to to be physically healed, or he wouldn't, and Jesus would be found to be a liar, right? See, what Jesus was most concerned with was people walking away from this situation Believing that he not only had the right to forgive sins, but he also had the power, the ability, the capacity to do what he said he did. To to forgive this man of his sins. And he proves it by exercising the power to heal a man's body. Luke 5.24 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So I think we've all met that person in our life that talks a big game, right? We've all met that person who likes to tell tall tales, that, that, that talks about catching that, you know, that huge fish or, or, or you know, how they're the best at doing something. But when you ask them to prove it, They've always got an excuse. You know, oh, I didn't, I didn't properly stretch today, so I'm not gonna be able to run that four-minute mile today, but, you know, maybe another day. Or I, I just ate a big meal, and, and so I can't, I can't run without getting a cramp. But, but this was not Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't give them an excuse why, you know, why he can't prove the things he's done. When the religious leaders question Jesus' power and authority in their hearts, Jesus shows, he reveals that he actually had the right and the power to forgive sins by also healing this paralyzed man's body, right? And as a result, Luke tells us the man went home glorifying God, and the people were seized with amazement, and they too glorified God. Church, I want you to pay attention to something here. I want you to see what happens, because when you humbly let Jesus do what he is determined to do, what he determines is best for you when, he, when you, when you let Him humbly let him have his way in your life, the result is his power and authority being made visible, being glorified in your life to the people around you. So that people look at your life and they're amazed by God. They're not amazed by you. Because honestly, there's nothing to be amazed about by you. There's nothing to be amazed about by me. The thing that's most amazing is seeing God at work in my life. See, this man or his friends, they could have spoken, but said, no thanks, Jesus, I'm all set on the forgiveness side. I'd really love for you to heal my body, right? But Luke doesn't record that. He records silence from everyone but Jesus. And as a result, people are filled with awe and they glorify God. They, they they literally recognize God for who he is. See, our world doesn't need better religious debaters or apologists. We don't need more pe- preachers or people trained to walk others through the four spiritual laws. Our world needs more humble and faithful followers of Jesus who are willing to let his work in their lives be seen by the people around them. That's a risk that's dangerous, right? Because we're going we're to be seen to be broken. We're going to be known to, to others to not be as good as, as we want them to believe we are. See, our, our, our world needs followers of Jesus who aren't ashamed or embarrassed of letting others see their brokenness. They're, they're not embarrassed by, by the humility that it requires to let Jesus work in us and, and to heal us and to grow us. We... We need followers of Jesus who are willing to risk letting others see us for who we are. So what are two things you can do this day to make Jesus' power and authority uh, to, to heal our deepest needs known to the people around you? It's simple. Believe and obey. Two simple things. Believe and obey. Believe that Jesus has the power and the right to forgive sins. I know we, we say it all the time when we gather as followers of Christ, we acknowledge that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That's where forgiveness comes from. But I'm telling you, slow down. Think about it. Believe it in the depth of your heart. We, we all live our lives aligned with what we believe is most true, right? And, and yet, if we believe that Jesus wants to and has the ability to forgive us of our sins and to heal us of our brokenness, then we'll live in relationship in that, to that truth. See, I think sometimes we're, we're those type of people where we, we say we believe in God's forgiveness, but man, we struggle to give people forgiveness. We struggle to receive forgiveness. We'd rather kind of hold on to that, that brokenness and feel bad about ourselves and, and think of how bad we are. We struggle to get to that place where we can embrace that we are forgiven, not because of what we're doing or proving ourselves to be, but because that's who Jesus is because he alone has the authority to forgive us and it starts with believing Jesus challenged the questioning and the doubt of the religious leaders and, and proved that he had the authority and the power to heal this part of of, of our humanity that was fundamentally broken our our souls so, church, believe that Jesus has the power to heal and the power to forgive and change lives. And then, secondly, obey, right? In, in Luke 5, 25, after Jesus told the man to rise, and go rise up and go home, we're told that the man immediately rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Immediately he obeyed Jesus. I, immediately he rose up before them. Who's them? It's the crowd. Our obedience to Jesus is not a private matter. I get it. The world we live in is not as receptive to the Christian faith, to the the faith that follows Jesus, right? But that doesn't give us permission to obey him only in private. Not because we need to prove that the world is wrong, but when we obey him publicly, privately, wherever we are, it's an opportunity for God's power to be seen at work in our lives. And again, I know it's scary, but we're called to live lives of obedience, not so we can tell God how good we are, but so that God's goodness can be seen by the world around us at work in our lives. Our transformation, your transformation, It may not all happen like this paralyzed man, but it does happen. You do see the changes, the, the transformation going on in your life over time as you witness God's work in you and through you. But most importantly, the best thing you can do to share the good news of Jesus is to let others see that work of transformation that's happening in your life. Pride's an issue? Yeah, that's true for a lot of us. Let him work on it. You're struggling with issues around sexuality. You know, every human being, we've been, we've been created as these beings. It's a, it's a common struggle. Don't pretend. I'm not saying we have to plaster it on a billboard on the highway, but, but there are people that are close to you in your life that need to know that you are someone who is not perfect, but you're a broken person. And, and, and there's a God who loves you, who whether or not you want to believe it or not, he forgives you you'll embrace that forgiveness. So church, the greatest tool for our evangelism is not a new class or a new study or a new way of being. It's your own life. So so stop trying to keep up the facade that you're a good Christian and, and humbly embrace the work that God is doing in you, right? Believe Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive our inmost broken Uh, sins, our our, our brokenness, and obey him as he invites you into this new life of following him obediently as his redeemed people. Don't do it privately. There are people in your life that need to see who Jesus is, his gracious, redeeming love. But they're not going to see it because Pastor Dan talked about it from the pulpit. They're going to see it because you allowed them to see Jesus' work in your life. They we're allowed to see your belief that Jesus has the authority to forgive you of your sins. They're going to see that you are living in obedience to Jesus. And as a result, they're going to see what Jesus can do in this world because they're seeing it at work in your life. So as we close, I want to challenge you with this thought. The best way for you to minister to the people you love and to share the good news of Jesus with them is not to carry them up on a roof, remove the roof tiles, and lower them down in front of Jesus. The best way for you to share the good news of Jesus is not to bring people to Jesus. Maybe the best way for you to minister to the people you love is to be like this man who is paralyzed, to believe that Jesus has the authority and the ability to forgive you of your sins, and to to live in obedience to him in such a way that they see the power and the the awesomeness of God, the grace and the love of God, that they'll be filled with awe and they too will glorify God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would all have the courage to be like this man who is paralyzed, a man whose life was anything but simple and easy, a man who who longed to to be a productive person in society, to have physical abilities and to, to be like others. And yet, Lord, when faced with the reality of what Jesus declared, he had the faith to believe that Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sins. God, give us the courage to believe that you alone have the authority to forgive sins, to to bind up that deep brokenness within our soul. Lord, that, that part of us that longs for restoration and healing and meaning and purpose, all of which can only be found in relationship to God, our creator, provider, our shepherd, our redeemer, our friend. Lord, make us like this man who is paralyzed. Give us courage not to be afraid of our brokenness, but humility to receive all that you desire to do in us. And that, Lord, our lives would become this megaphone of God's glory and majesty, compassion and love. That that our lives would become... uh, beautiful tapestry of God's forgiveness that you alone would, would, would have authority in this world and that this world would cast off all of our, uh, our false belief and hope in things of this world to provide what only you can provide. So Lord, have your way in us as a church. May we be your people sharing the good news of Jesus through our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.